Um, so the title of this morning's message is is Don't Be That Guy. That's that's the title of this morning's message. Don't be that guy. Uh, and I'll I'll expand on that in a moment. But before I start, who looked in a mirror this morning? Like at some point in your morning routine, you paused for a moment and checked out your reflection in the mirror. It might have been after you hopped out of the shower, it might have been while you were brushing your teeth. While you're doing your hair, ladies, while you put on your makeup, hands up if at some point this morning you pause to look in the mirror. Come on, be honest. Who did it? Brilliant. Every, everybody did it. That's awesome because it helps me make my point. <laughs> Do you know that scientists have discovered that there's a very deep and profound reason that we look in the mirror, and it's fundamentally because we can't see our own face. I can't see my own face. If I, if I cross my eyes, you know, I can see the end of my nose, but I can't see my own face. So I'm unaware if there's something going on that I should pay attention to. When I was a kid, uh, the family and, and all of us went away to Hamner, and we took my best friend at the time, Michael Davis, who was in my footy team, the same age as me. Birthdays a couple of weeks apart, so that makes you best friends when you're a kid. Oh. If your birthday's on the same day, then you're lifelong friends when you're a kid. So we went to Hamner, and Michael and I are sharing a bedroom. So we got, you know, single beds on opposite sides of the room upstairs. And we get up in the morning, and we're sort of clowning around in the bedroom and stuff and mucking around. I don't know what we're doing. We're like 14, 15. And we come downstairs, and I walk into the lounge, and Mum's in there. And she looks up at me, and she doesn't say, Good morning, love of my life. I hope you sleep well, my precious child. She looks at me, and the first words out of her mouth are, ooh, you've got a massive pimple on your face. Go and sort it out. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Rudy's. And uh, the thing is that I didn't know it was there because I can't see my own face. So I went into the bathroom, and I looked in the mirror, and I was like, whoa, mama. I was surprised I didn't overbalance coming down the stairs. You know, so I had to, like, take care of it which you do, yeah, yum, that's right, because I wanted to make sure that Mount Vesuvius didn't erupt at a very awkward moment, you know, when I was talking to a girl or something. Um, and the whole time I'm thinking, why didn't Mike say something about this? Because there's no chance he didn't see it. <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't poking him in the back while he slept from across the room. It was a, it was a, big, it was a big one, you know. Um, and it sucks when that happens, because you're a teenager, and like you're already you know, at your most vulnerable stage in life. Like you've never been more self-aware of how you look and more interested in trying to attract attention of the opposite sex than when you're a teenager. And it's at that point that you're at your most ugliest in life. <laughs> like, no offense, guys. You know, but like when you're, when you're a kid, when you're a baby, everyone's like, oh, babies, so cute, so cute babies. And then you become a toddler, and they're like, look, they're wearing adult clothes on little kids. It's like, look at the size of their shoes, and he's got jeans and a shirt on. And then they become a little bit bigger, and they're not quite as cute, but then their teeth fall out, and they come up and they're like, hi, and they've got all these gaps, and you're like, oh. And plus, they're like at the perfect height to just tap them on the head and they go past. So they're cute. And then they become teenagers, and you're like, ugh. You know, their body does weird things. They grow at different proportions. They like shoot right up to the sky, but they don't fill out, so they look really skinny. Or else, even worse, they fill out before they shoot up, then they're just short and fat. <laughs> I'm joking, eh? Joking teenagers. <laughs> I love teenagers. I used to be one. Um, I'm 31, and I, sometimes I feel like a teenager, but then I hang out with teenagers, and I'm like, nah, never mind, I'm 31. <laughs> 
Um, but the reason we look in a mirror is because we can't see what we look like. And it's the mirror that shows us what areas of our appearance need attention. You know, it shows you if your hair's sticking up, it shows you if you've got sleep in your eyes, if you've got food stuck in your teeth, if you need to bleach your upper lip, whatever it is, it's the mirror that shows you what you need to put time and effort into. We all agree with that? Good. Imagine if you got up in the morning, you looked in the mirror, and you saw your hair was sticking up, you had sleep in your eyes, food in your teeth, you know, you're unshaven, you look, you look horrible, you look a mess. And you look at it and you're like, oh, there's a lot of work needs to be done this morning. But as soon as you turn from the mirror, you completely and totally forget what you look like. And so you go out the front door and don't make any change to the way you look. And you spend your day with hair sticking up, face ugly, you know, looking like a total mess. Imagine if you did that. Would it be fair to say that if that was the way you responded to your appearance in the mirror, there would be little point in having the mirror? If I get up in the morning, every day I look in the mirror and I go, and then walk out the front door and don't change anything about my appearance because I've forgotten what I look like, then I may as well have just skipped the mirror step. I may as well not even have bought a mirror. I could have saved myself some money. So do we all agree that if you look in the mirror and then walk off and forget what you look like, the mirror is a waste of time and space? You agree with that? It's logical. Good. Now let's turn to the Bible, because I've tricked you all. <laughs> and let's go to James chapter 1, verse 23. James says this, Anybody who listens to the word, but doesn't do what it says, get this, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now we've all just agreed that that person is wasting their time. We've all just agreed that if you do that, you may as well not even have a mirror. We've all just agreed that that person is wasting their time and their money and their energy if they do that. And James is saying, if you listen to the word but don't do what it says, you're like that guy. Don't be that guy. In verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Verse 26 of chapter 2, he says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James chapter 1 verse 22, he says, Don't just listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In verse 20 of chapter 2, he says, You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Like, this is as strong a language as the Bible uses. He says in chapter 1, if you listen to the word and you don't do what it says, you're deceiving yourself. In chapter 2, he says, you're foolish if you think that this is the way to go. In other words, James is saying, look, if you're the sort of person that thinks you can come to church on a Sunday morning, listen to the word of God, and then go about your week without putting any of it into practice, not only are you wrong, but you're an idiot. That is what the Bible says, not me. If you want to, check it. I have all the verses here. We go, well, that's a bit harsh. Maybe James is being a bit brutal. Let's, talk, let's, let's use someone who's you know, a little bit more gentle. Let's go to Jesus. Jesus loves grace. Jesus loves everybody. 
doesn't hold anyone's sin against them. Jesus is awesome. Let's go to Jesus. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus says this. It's in red letters. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is saying, look, let me tell you a story about a guy. This guy went out. He spent a whole bunch of money buying building materials, wood, nails. He'd buy a hammer, whatever, tin, whatever he used to build his house. He spent all this money. He brought it back to where he was going to build his house. And then he built his house, which took a lot of time and effort and energy. But do you know what? At the end of it, what did he have to show for it? Nothing, because his house fell down. Jesus says, don't be that guy. Don't be the guy that's wasted his time, his money, his effort, and his energy. Don't be that guy. But if you hear my words and do not put them into practice, you are that guy. So don't be that guy. Sometimes I'm that guy. Sometimes I'm not. Most of the time, I think I probably am that guy. This has been really bugging me for the last, since I became pastor. <laughs> I'm just like, oh no, I've got to take this seriously now. Um, how many times have I heard that as a Christian, I have Jesus living in me? I've heard the word. You know, we've all heard it from the front, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Jesus said, I've given you authority over everything. You go out and do this and do this and do this. We've all heard the word. I know the word says that Jesus lives in me and through God, I have the power to heal the sick. I know the word says that. But then during the week, I get tired and stressed and busy and I become that guy that hears the word but doesn't put it into practice. And then Liz comes to me and says, oh, I don't feel well. And instead of saying, I will lay hands on you and you shall recover, I say, oh, that's no good. You should go for a lie down once you finish preparing dinner. <laughs> I become that guy. Even though I know that God's heart is for me, and he's generous and extravagant and he's calling me to emulate the way that he is and that the word says I should be generous and extravagant, sometimes I become that guy and I have the word, I hear the word, I know the word, but I don't put it into practice and I get tight about money and bills bother me. I become that guy. I know the word says that I shouldn't worry. Jesus says do not Worry, it's a command. I know the word says that, but I don't put it into practice and I get stressed and bothered and frustrated. I become that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want you to be that guy because that guy is deluded. James says, you're deceiving yourself. That guy is deceiving himself. I've been deceiving myself from time to time. You know, I had a bad couple of weeks with cars. One of my vehicles, I've got three vehicles. 
for work, one's for work, one's for me, one's for Liz and the kids. Um, my work one blew a head gasket. That was awesome. And then while that was at the mechanics, Liz's vehicle, Zoltanator, died. So I had to drop that in. So all we had at home was my vehicle, which couldn't fit in any of the kids' car seats. So Liz was stuck at home. And I had the uh, courtesy station wagon that um, the mechanic had given me. And he, he was texting me, telling me what everything was going to cost. And it was mounting up. It was like over $3,000 for all the repair work. And I was like, oh, lame. And uh, then I lost the keys to the courtesy car. And I was like, you've got to be joking. And uh, so he texts me, he's like, your car's ready, come pick it up. And I was like, ha, funny story. <laughs> Actually, I wasn't. I was like, sweet ass, I'll be there soon. Um, so I had to take the one car that we had left and drive around Rangura, going to every place that I'd been, because I knew that it must have fallen out of my pocket while I was getting in or out of the car. And this thought crossed my mind while I was doing it. You should ask God where your keys are. And I was like, because I was being that guy that knows the word but doesn't put it into practice. And also, I was a little bit ticked because my cars were costing three grand and I was sure that God could have brought that down a bit. <laughs> so I was like, no, I'm just going to sort this out myself. Thank you very much. It's like the most primo cutting off your nose to spite your, spite your face sort of thing. So I drive around in gear. I can't find them anywhere. I look at all my cars, well, the one car that I've got left. I look through the house, I look through my pockets, I can't find it. So I get back to home, I'm sitting in the driveway in my car, and I'm like, oh, God, where are my keys? He's like, what? I'm like, God, where are my keys? What? I said, do you know where my keys are, God? And the store pops in my head, look in your car again. I thought, oh, like, I've already done that. So I go out to the car, and I just sit down in the driver's seat, and I'm like, and I open up the flap in between the two seats and the keys are sitting in there and I'm like what trying to th and then I'm thinking did I look there and they weren't there and God's put them in there <laughs> or did I just not look there and then I was like was the thought to look in there even gold or did I just have that thought but all I can tell you is that I couldn't find them anywhere I asked God where they were and I found them in 30 seconds but I was being that guy you know but that guy's got it wrong He's not living the life that God wants him to live. That guy is living second rate. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be this guy. This guy has got it together. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 28. He says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. I want to be this guy. James chapter 1 verse 25 says, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. I want to be this guy. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. He says, These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. I want to be this guy. He says in John chapter 14, verse 12, 
Very truly I tell you, not I'll tell you something, or hey, I'll truly tell you something. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. I want to be this guy. You know, the, the first church people, they were those guys. The apostles were those guys. The early church was filled with those guys. Acts chapter 2 verse 43 says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I want to be these guys. Let's do something painful really quickly. Um, you know, it's, it's good for you to go to the doctors every now and again and get a checkup, right? You know, guys do it, girls do it. It's a regular thing. You're supposed to do it regularly because you can catch things early and, you know, you can save yourself a lot of heartache and it's just a good habit to get into, get a physical every now and again. It's the same with the spirit. You've got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the New Living Translation says, Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. So now only you can do this for yourself. I can't do it. Only you can do it. Examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. How do you test yourself? Well, if James says that faith without action is dead, then the test of whether you believe something or not has to be whether you can back it up with an action. That's the, that's the test. In other words, the test of whether I believe that when I pray for a sick person, they will get better, is not whether I know the Bible says it or whether I can say that I believe it. The test is, do I pray for sick people? Because that's the action. It's not even, do the sick people I pray for get healed? Because that's a different thing. But the test is, do I believe it enough to pray for people? If I'm not praying for sick people, then I can't say I believe that I have the power to heal sick people because faith without action is dead. You know, the test of whether I believe that God is a generous God and is calling me to be like him is not that I know the Bible says it or that I say I believe it. It's whether I'm actually being generous. Can I look back at the last year and go, look, these are all the times that I was generous, that I blessed someone that I gave money away, that I helped someone out, that I extended myself. If I can't do that, then I don't believe it because faith without actions is dead. If I think that, then I'm that guy, and that guy's deluded. He's deceiving himself, says the Word of God. If I, you know, like, the test of whether I have surrendered myself to God is not whether... I say I've surrendered myself to God, it's whether I've actually done it, whether I'm doing it, whether I'm living it. Because at the end of the day, actions speak louder than words. We all know that saying. Actions speak louder than words. If I say to my wife, I love her, but I treat her like trash, the actions speak louder than words. If I say to my kids, I'm going to take you out for an ice cream, but then my actions don't take them out for an ice cream, they don't believe that they've gone out for an ice cream. I've tried it. No, I did. I did take you out. you just forgotten. No, Dad, because actions speak louder than words. If we're not out there doing what we say we believe, then we are all that guy. We're just playing church. We're making ourselves feel better. 
We're making ourselves feel like we're doing okay, but the Bible says, look, if that's what you're doing, you're not doing okay. You're deceiving yourself. Let me ask you a quick, like, think about this for a second. Like, here we are all at church on a Sunday morning. Um, if you were to compile all of our friends, all of our families, all of our work colleagues, all of our acquaintances, we'd, all of us would represent thousands of people that we could reach out and touch at any point. How often, how many times has it happened to you that you've been hanging out with one of your friends, one of your colleagues, one of your workmates, one of your family members, and they've said to you, oh, do you know what? This is weird, but every Sunday between 10 and 12, no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm watching TV or I'm at home or I'm playing golf or I'm at the movies or I'm at the mall shopping, no matter what I'm doing on Sunday between 10 and 12, I just feel like the love of God come on me and so impacted by God and the revelation of who God is. I don't understand it. And you say, well, I do. Because you see, friend, every Sunday between 10 and 12, I'm in church. And that's what's causing this reaction. I mean, that doesn't happen, does it? Because people, us being here this morning is not changing anyone out there if all we do is come to church and then go home. People, no one in my world is being changed by the fact that I go to church. None of my friends, none of my family, none of my work colleagues is being impacted right now because I'm in this room. None of them. Unless I go home and I put into practice what I learn here. I apply the word of God that I hear here. Then I go home and my life changes. And my friends and my family and my work colleagues, they go, look at Josh's life. Look at the way he lives. Look at the decisions he makes. Look at the priorities that he has. Look at his joy. Look at his hope. Look at his grace. Look at his love. Look at his kindness. Look at his generosity. And they look at our lives and they go, I want what he has. And when they're sick, and we say, we'll pray for them. It's only when we put God's words into practice that we're going to change the world. Jesus knew that. Matthew 5, verse 14, he says, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. He says, a city on a hill, um, what does he say? Like a city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Your light shines through action. It doesn't say, let your light shine before men that they may hear what you believe. Let your light shine before men that they may hear your words. It says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, someone who is living that life, this guy, this guy is going to change the lives of his friends and family. This guy. I want to be this guy. This guy's going to change. Can you imagine what would happen if all of us in this room were this guy? Consistently, this guy. Don't be that guy. Be this guy. Be this guy. Um, I've got a short three-minute video, which I'll show you really quickly, which is by a guy called John Wimber. 
John Wimber is the, uh, he's dead now. Uh, in fact, the video is from 1985, so it's a long time ago. But John Wimber is the founder of the New Life, uh, not the New Life, sorry, the Vineyard Movement. So he's got an awesome story, and there's tons of videos of his on YouTube. And you should just get on and watch them because he's very charismatic. Um, particularly, there's a lot from a conference that he did in 1985, and he's just very funny. Um, and he's awesome. But he's got a very colorful background. He was actually the producer. He was in the music business, and he was the manager of the Righteous Brothers. And he left that and got into church and became a Christian and you know, had a wife and kids and stuff, and then just grabbed it with both hands. And he's got an amazing testimony. Um, and he's got, he saw huge breakthrough and healing and, and miracles and stuff like that. Um, and I won't go into it now because it's a really long story, but man, it's fascinating. But he's got this three-minute clip, which is called Doing the Stuff. And it pretty much just sums up what I'm saying. So let's watch this quickly. As I read the New Testament, I fell in love with Jesus. Didn't you? I liked him. I liked what he was like. I liked the things he did. I liked the things he said. Didn't you like those things? I thought that stuff was hot. I liked it when he multiplied the bread. Did you like that one? Huh? How about it? Did you like that? And the fishes, you know, the sardines. I always picture sardines. I like that stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I liked it when he went by the fig tree and said, hmm, you know? <laughs> and it died. Can you picture him doing that? I like all that stuff. I like it. I remember last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There are not many guys doing that come forth thing, you know, telling anybody to come up from the dead. I like all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking with these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm going to join up. I want to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought they did at church? Now, this is how stupid I was. I thought you, that people gathered at the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and then everybody went out and healed a few and cast out a few demons and won a few people to Christ before lunch. And so the first few times I went to church, I went prepared with the idea that we're going to, you know, ha, I'm going to take Anaheim. I want to go to Anaheim, you know, the deepest, darkest pagan Anaheim. Over there by Disneyland, that's where I want to go, because that's where I was raised. And when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking a guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He says, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. Now, that's pathetic. Isn't it? I found out over the next year or two that we cried about it, we sang about it, we preached about it, we prayed over it, we gave to it, but we never did it. We never got to go do the things that Jesus did. And I grew disillusioned in the process. Now, you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. Didn't he let you do his stuff? He let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they didn't want to let me do his stuff. And I, to tell you the truth, I joined up to do the stuff. Did you? You see, it's doing the stuff 
that's going to change the world. It's not knowing it was done once. It's not knowing that it's important. It's doing it that's going to change the world. Somewhere, someplace, somebody's got to start believing this book and acting on it. And I figure it might as well be us. We're qualified. We can read and write, most of us. And we understand that it can be done. Cool, eh? <clears throat> Very cool. So I could have just played that at the start and we could have all gone home early. But, you know, that's it. Let's pray, eh? We'll wrap it up there. Let's pray. Just take a moment, just where you are right now, and just do your own thing. Have your own chat to God. God, I thank you that, <clears throat> that you died on the cross, Jesus. Thank you that you changed the world. Thank you, God, that the same power that rose you from the dead lives in each one of us. Lord, I thank you that you have got the most primo life for each of us. Lord, that will fulfill us. Lord, that will bring us total joy, God, and happiness and contentment, Lord. God, I thank you that your desire is to have a relationship with us, Lord, and to work with us. Lord, I thank you that you're calling each of us to do this stuff. Lord, I pray for courage, like Glenn did earlier. Lord, for just guts to put ourselves out there, Lord, and do it. Lord, to pray for that person at work that's sick, put our pride on the line. Lord, help us to be a church that is filled with people that are like cities on a hill, God, whose, whose lights shine. Lord, let this church be known of that it's filled with people that, that do what they say they believe, God. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here, God, that you would just show us piece by piece, Lord, step by step, how we can grow in this. Lord, don't let anybody walk out of this place this morning feeling depressed or despondent or that they've let you down. Lord, I pray that everyone would leave this morning feeling that they can do better. Lord, that we can, we can grow with you, Lord. We can become bigger and 
stronger and yeah Lord I bless everyone here this morning thank you for bringing them into this place thank you that they're a part of our family I bless their day I bless their week I bless their jobs I bless their families I bless their houses their homes God we love you Amen.